welcome to this week's teaching from Exchange Church in the heart of Belfast. So today we are celebrating fathers, aren't we? And I think I thought my best gift for Andrew was to actually speak this morning, give him a wee wee, um, morning off. But we do want to celebrate the men, whether you are a dad or whether you are a man. The fact is that, you know, whether you're earthly father or spiritual father, you have a role and God has called you for something and it is something special. It's something precious. And we're going to look this morning about why fathers matter why they absolutely matter to the heart of God, why he has so much to say about them and why he wants us to honour and value them and appreciate them. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look and we just want to, we do want to, we want to say that, you know, our lives are enriched. I want to know as a wife, my life is enriched because I have a husband, because I have a father, because I have a father-in-law. There are men in my life who are such a blessing to me, and I am so grateful and thankful. And so often we can kind of take for granted those closest to us, can't we? You know, so often it's, it's easy to, to thank people who we don't see that much or in work contexts and whatever, but sometimes the people who are just going about life doing the same things each day, it's often... To, easy just to forget about that, to forget what impact they have and what life would be like if they weren't there doing those things and encouraging us. And and you know what? I think it's so important in the culture at the minute right now to celebrate fathers. Do you know? Because I cannot believe sometimes how much the world has changed, even in the last 10 years. If you think about some of the changes and some of the shifts in our culture, things that I never thought that I would see or would be facing, things I never imagined. And I sometimes think even celebrating Father's Day is something we need to protect. Even celebrating that fathers have such an impact on our lives. Because I don't know about whether you notice this, but there's a huge agenda out there at the minute to devalue the contribution of a father. There's a massive gender out there to kind of normalize the fact that actually kids, do you really don't need a mom and a dad? You know, I was horrified recently, just heard that the latest Toy Story movie has a family unit with a mom and a mom. Like our kids are constantly being given a message that actually, what does it matter? Sure, if you just all love each other, then that's great. But we need to start thinking, because sometimes we can go, oh, well, do you know, maybe things, they sound, they start to sound okay when it's constantly being drip fed. We need to think, what have our kids been told? Constantly being drip-fed this message. Does it need to be a mom and a dad? But are we going to allow the wisdom of the world to dictate truth in our lives? We've got to stop and we've got to align ourselves to actually, God is the God of all wisdom. God is the God of truth. And the other day, Andrew and I were listening to a talk that we were doing in the mornings, and it was by Chris Valentin from Bethel. And he was talking about how he's putting a book together at the moment, and they have been doing some research, um, and he got a team who were helping him, and they were looking at the whole thing of absentee fathers. So he said, they were, when they pulled together the research they had, he was like, oh, flip, these statistics are like 10 years old. You know, we need to get more up-to-date. You know, we're looking at things from 2012 or whatever. You know, like, we really need more up-to-date stuff to put in this book. So they went off to find the latest research in terms of, you know, what effect does it have on families where there was no, no father there, and they actually couldn't find any. And they realized that the government have stopped doing studies because they don't want us to know, because it's not, doesn't serve their political agenda to talk about the effects of a lack of fathers. There's no longer any research into it. I mean, I thought, oh my word, what is going on here? Because people don't want to recognize that the breakdown of the family unit is having a massive impact. 
And yet we're all worried about school shootings and crazy things that we find out, out there, things that are happening that are horrific. And actually, the answer is staring us in the nose. It's right in front of us, but nobody wants to look at that. And I'm constantly surprised at times by even Christians, even people in the church who seem swayed. Because, you know, we understand that God loves all people. That his love is for everyone. That there's nobody who's excluded from his love. But, you know, grace doesn't look like agreement. So to love somebody doesn't need to say, I love you and I agree with everything you do. You can love somebody, but it doesn't need to say, I'm going to agree with your choices. And you know what? There's, there's, there's a huge agenda to make things seem like that. this is just normal. You know, I look at it, the world that my son was growing up in when he was in school and some of the things that he was having to face and was being told that's just the way it is. And he would come home and go, Mom, seriously? But there, was no, there wasn't any space to have that voice to even air the fact that you felt uncomfortable with some of the things that were being pushed in your face. It's not God's design to not have a mom and a dad and a family unit. You know what? And sometimes I think whenever, you know, we have those times where we're maybe bombarded by different ideas and we start to go, God, I don't, I don't know. And well, maybe this is okay. And, you know, really, should it be so black and white? I know that I need to come back to the Lord and humble myself. Because it tells us in Isaiah, Isaiah 55, 8 to 9, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours and my thoughts higher than yours, your thoughts. So, you know, we have to realize that God is the infinite one. And at times if we don't always understand why should it be that way or if, you know, we feel like we're getting swayed, we need to come back to the fact that God, he knows it all and he has the perfect plan. Because I remember whenever, whenever I went to uni, there was a few years when I drifted away from, from God and when I started to feel myself being swayed by different types of thinking. Because it kind of, it doesn't happen overnight. You just start to hear things and hear things and be around groups of people and, and different um, opinions on things. And suddenly you start to find that you're, you're drifting. You don't even really recognize it at the time. And I remember by the end of my second year, I was really starting to get into the whole sort of, you know, women's rights thing. And yeah, that's right. And, you know, and uh, I remember so I had to sign up before I went to, I was going out to France for a year. I had to sign up to what, what my classes would be in fourth year. And I remember going, yeah, wow, French feminism, that would be really interesting. Well, I would love to do learn all about that. Well, I know. And then I went out to, and it was amazing because like God sent me to France for a year. I met Christians there. I met Andrew there. I had a whole like re-encounter with the Lord and just recognizing that, you know, um, that he needed to be first place in my life. And then I came back to be on this course of all these French feminists. I was like, oh my word, God, you have such a sense of humor. And suddenly I had to like sit through a whole year of teaching all on feminism and crazy, crazy stuff. Um, but it made me realize even more what I knew truth was and even more, like maybe that God allowed me to do that so I could really understand um, his heart. But you know, there is just such an attack on that family unit, what God's plan is, his design, and the absence of fathers, what it can do in our society. And uh, an amazing article I came across. You're going to have to go with me here. It's an incredible story, and it's about elephants in South Africa. So you might be thinking, okay, it's Father's Day. We're talking about men. Why is she going to tell me a story? I just want to read this to you because I thought, oh, my goodness, 
Like, if this is a picture of anything of what it's like to have fathers or not have fathers, just listen to this. So this article, it said, some years ago, officials at the Kruger National Park and Game Reserve in South Africa were faced with a growing elephant problem. So the population of African element, elephants that were once endage, endangered had grown larger than the park could sustain. So measures had to be taken to thin the ranks, and a plan was devised to relocate some of the elephants to other African game reserves. So being enormous creatures, the elephant... Um, the elephants are not easily transported. So this, this is actually where you've got to picture this. This is actually what they did. So a special harness was created to airlift the elephants, literally lift them with a helicopter and fly them um, out of the parks using helicopters. Can you imagine if you're sitting there in some wee school, you know, like you say, pigs can't fly, and you've got a flipping elephant flying over the top of you, or coming home saying, Mom, you'll never guess what I saw today at school. And you're like, Seriously? They actually did. I thought, this is amazing. So the helicopters apparently were up to the task, but as it turned out, the harnesses weren't. And the harnesses could only handle the juvenile and the adult female elephants, but not the huge African bull elephants. So they thought, Flippy, what are we going to do? You know, we've got to move all these elephants. We can't move these big, massive ones. So do you know what? We'll just take the little ones and we'll take the moms. It'll be fine. So they did that. Thought the problem was solved. Thinned the herd out. It all seemed to be working fine. But then all of a sudden, there was a strange problem that started to happen in one of the other um, reserves. So it said rangers at Plainsburg um, Reserve began finding dead bodies of endangered white rhinoceros. So at first they just sort of flipped, there must be poachers or something getting in because they were just going around on all of these dead rhinoceroses. But then they realized when they were looking at them, there was no um, bullet marks on them, so they weren't getting shot. None of their tusks had been removed. So it's like, what on earth is going on here? Why are there suddenly all these dead rhinos? So actually, they found out, do you know who it was? Anybody guess? It was the elephants. Well done. It was the juvenile elephants. So what had happened, the young males were caught on camera chasing down the rhinos, knocking them over, stomping on them, and goring them to death with their tusks. Isn't that horrendous? And the juvenile elephants were terrorizing other animals in the park as well. And this behavior was totally random among the elephants. Like, they'd never seen this kind of thing before. So they were going, what on earth is happening here? Like, elephants don't do this. Why are they doing it? What's that? <laughs> so some of the... Um, Park rangers had a theory, and they had realized that what was missing, because they hadn't brought the male elephants, that actually they must have had a real impact on the juveniles. So what they started to do was they started to transport all, they thought, right, we've got to go back, build bigger harnesses, because this is just not elephant behavior. So they went, got, the big, got better harnesses, transported these bull elephants, put them into the herds, and all of a sudden, the frenzied behavior stopped. Isn't that incredible? Because what they'd realized was during mating season, there was like a boost in the testosterone for the, the, the juvenile elephants. They were going completely crazy. But when the bull elephants came along, it just subdued them all. It was like, that's not how we behave. That's not what we do. Guys, hold it together. And literally, the problem went. I thought, isn't that incredible? That the, the young male elephants needed the older male elephants to model out to them and show them how they were to behave, to show them this is what we do, this is how you are an elephant, this is how you become a young man, this is not the kind of behavior that you're supposed to have. And the person writing this article was actually, he was commenting on some crazy attacks that there had been 
in New York in Central Park by juvenile boys. And it was all these, these mobs of boys who were like even maybe 13, 14, 15 year olds who were going attacking women. And it was like this horrific behavior that had been going on. And he was saying, and we wonder why we've got problems in our society when there are not men about to say, this is not what happens, this is not how we behave, this is what it looks like to be a man. So today, I hope that I'm going to start to encourage you, all of us, we have to celebrate the fact that we have fathers. And as, as women, it's our role to come alongside and say, we love you, we appreciate you, that you have an incredible calling from the Lord, that he has given you a role that you can stand, that you can show the young men around you how to be men, how to be the men that God has created you to be. And you know what, the, the, you know, it feels like the enemy wants to do everything he can to attack that. And the enemy only attacks what is precious. The enemy only attacks what he's afraid of. And it's because, men, you have such a powerful anointing, such a powerful calling. But what does the enemy do? He either, as women, tries to get us to turn against men, to compete against men, to think, you know what, almost like kind of reject all the masculine things. So he'll either cause division and making us despise all the things that are different about us, like, oh, that's typical man, isn't it? And all those kind of things that women can say. Or there's another way where he's trying to actually just make us doubt that there's even any difference. Like, what's the difference between a man and a woman anyway? There's nothing there. But hey, if you're anything like me, you know there's a complete difference. Like, you've just heard what went on in our family this morning, kids eating crisps and chocolate for breakfast. There's definitely a difference when it comes to men and women. But I love that. I love the fact that they'll be like, happy days, it was daddy. We got to eat all of the, <laughs> the crazy things. Because God put us together for a reason. He put us together because we complement each other. And I love the fact that, you know, when you look at, look at creation and look at all the things that God said was good, and then he, always, he says that it was not good for man to be alone, and he created woman. And, you know, it says about it, he created her as a helpmate, and everyone gets all upset about that, don't they? And yet if people looked at that word, it's actually used, I think it's about 13 times God used it to um, describe himself, that he's our helpmate. So it's not, it's not in any way inferior. And I was kind of having, I was thinking um, something I was re recently doing in uh, business, and it was talking about diversity and celebrate diversity. And I was like, this, it's the irony of it all, isn't it? Like the great thing of diversity, man and woman were so different, but let's appreciate each other and, and you know, celebrate that. Why is that the thing that we're not celebrating? Why is it we can't talk about that? We've got to celebrate all these other things, but we can't celebrate the thing that's like on the, staring us in the face. It's like God has made us to complement each other. God has made us different so that actually we can go, do you know what? That's not me, but I am so thankful that is you. We need each other. So why is fatherhood so important? Do you know what? It's the, it's the model that came down from heaven itself. Because all through the Old Testament, God was revealing himself to his people. And we know all the different names of God. Jehovah, Yahweh, the self-existent one. I can't say half of these. Andrew's much better. Jehovah, Bore, the Lord, our creator. Jehovah, Jireh, the Lord, our provider. The Lord, our banner. The Lord, our healer. The Lord, our shepherd. The Lord of hosts. The Lord is peace. The Lord is there. The Lord, our righteousness. All these different words that I can't, you can tell. I stopped trying to say half of them halfway through. But whenever Jesus came, he came to reveal God in all of those ways. But what was the first thing he said? Andrew said it this morning. He came and he came to show us Father. He came to pray and he said, Abba, Father. Jesus came to reveal the Father to us. 
Fatherhood is God's idea. It's, it's who he is. And he gives us this incredible privilege to either be a father or to experience what it's like to have a father. And for those people who haven't maybe grown up with that or haven't had that presence in their lives, the fact is that we all have a heavenly father. None of us are excluded from knowing the love of a father. And I want to read to you some of the times when Jesus started to talk about his father because there's so many things that Jesus was showing us. If we look at John 5.18, it says, Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Because people found this so offensive because the father represents authority and Jesus made himself equal with the father because him and the father are one. And one of the things I want to say today is, fathers, you have been given authority. And sometimes people hear this and, and they've maybe had not great experiences. But do you know what? God is our Heavenly Father and He models out. So no matter what experience we've had, every father here can come to the Father Himself and say, Help me be the Father that you want me to be. And Jesus, whenever He was talking, He said, I can do nothing by myself. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous because I don't seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. So there's this beautiful picture of though Jesus had authority given to him by the Father, he was in complete submission to his Father. So he chose to be under his Father. And today, as fathers here, you're protected because you can be under that covering from your heavenly Father who supplies everything that you need. Because God never forces anything on us. He showed us that beautiful picture between his father and his son and he wants us all to come under that and for fathers today to receive from him. Just come receive because I'm your loving father and I want to pour into you. You know, and I love that verse. We say it lots that, you know, we love because he first loved us and fathers today, he wants you to know that he loves you, loves you deeply. He first loved you. You don't need to come today trying to be better for God or trying, but he just wants you to know that he loves you. And Jesus went on to say, my father who, is, who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hands because I and the father are one. Jesus con continually talked about the unity between him and his father because they shared the common purpose. What was important to their hearts was the same thing. You know, Jesus and the father were one in vision. And the Father wants us today to line ourselves back up with his vision for your life, with his calling, with his anointing, with his purpose for you as dads, because you matter so much to him. He has got an incredible future for every single one of us. And Jesus reveals that his heart lines up with everything that the Father says. He says in John 14, 6, that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father but through me. He wants to bring us to the Father. He wants to make sure that we're not outside of that love that he has for us. And the way to the Father is found through the Son. Because the Father is always honoring the Son and the Son always longs to bring glory to his Father. It's just such a beautiful picture, isn't it? It's such a picture of intimacy, togetherness. Because that's what the Lord wants us to, to experience. He wants us to come into that place where we receive from the Father. Jesus is constantly wanting to remind us of who he is, of what he's done for us. 
Jesus was continually revealing the Father's love wherever he went. He was going and healing people. He was going and restoring people. He was going and making people whole again. He was showing them that he had that authority. And today, as men, it's time to stand in that authority that God has given you. Not an authority that you need to work up in yourselves. Not an authority that comes because you've got to raise your voice and you've got to stand for who you are. It's actually just standing in who God says you are. And the next thing I wanted to say today is that actually when God will never give you an assignment that you have to fulfill in your own strength. You know, when God calls you as a father, he says, I'm calling you and I've equipped you and you are confident and capable of doing the thing that I've called you to. Because sometimes, I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes if you were trying to judge yourself as how you were doing as a parent, you know, if you were to sort of rate how you're doing on any given day between one and 10, I don't think many people are going, oh, I'm definitely a number 10 today. I'm like super dad. You know, most of the time when we're looking at ourselves, all we can see is what we could have done, what we should have done, what we could have done better. You know, the enemy wants us to get us in that place, isn't it? That we feel like we're never going to quite reach the standard. He knows all our insecurities. He wants to put doubts in our minds about how we're doing. You know, as a dad, he probably wants you to start saying, you know, kind of, what kind of dad are you? Call yourself a good father. He wants to make you feel like you're not quite it. But fathers, I want you to hear today that there's one person who believes in you, okay? He believes in your ability to be a parent because he's actually placed within you everything that you need. And he's not going to give you the role that he's not equipped you for. God already sees you as a great father. If you're a father today, he sees you as a great father. And I wanted just to look a little bit about the story of Abraham. Because Abraham, he is like, we all know the song, don't we, Father Abraham? And all the, the actions that we're not going to do anymore. But you think of like how he addressed Abraham in Genesis, you know, in Genesis 12. He says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. See, when you look at Abraham's calling, there's one thing that I really notice about it. There's one thing that stands out to me. He doesn't say, if you get this right. He doesn't say, if you keep the law. He doesn't say, you know, if you meet all these requirements. He actually just prophesies what Abraham's life is going to be like. And it's what God is going to do in him. God's telling him that you will be a father. You're going to be somebody who leads. You are going to provide. You're going to cast vision for future generations. You're going to be a source of blessing, not just to people around you, but you're going to be covering and protection to so many people. You know, I'm sure when Abraham first heard all those things, he thought, oh my word, Flip, if you got the right person, you know, might feel a bit inadequate. He might not have felt like, probably started thinking, do you really know me? Do you really know who you're asking to do this? But you know, God's declaration over our lives isn't based on how we see ourselves, it's based on how he sees us. And most of the time, we're not going to feel equipped, we're not going to feel like we've got everything that we need, we're going to feel probably that we're going to make a mess of it, or that we are making a mess of it. And it can be daunting at times being a parent. And sometimes we can get a bit overwhelmed by the responsibility, particularly on the days where it doesn't feel like it's all going well. But I want to take you back to the verses that Andrew's been telling us every week, because this is God's heart for you today. Because he says, walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And that's the Lord's heart for you today. 
If you're at times feeling weighed down by parenting, stop and remember you're not supposed to be carrying the load. Just like Andrew showed us the other week, didn't he, with the, that whole picture of the ox and how the ox is laid, is the whole thing, it's created to bear the load. God is your father and as a loving father, he's the one who's providing for you. He's supporting you. He's healing your heart where it's heavy. So if there's times when you're feeling like, God, what am I supposed to do here? He's the one who's your wisdom. He's the one who's gonna provide for you, protect you, give you what you need. And if you look at Abraham's journey, he keeps spelling out to him, doesn't he? Even when Abraham's making a complete mess of it, you know, he kind of, he listens to what God said and then he goes and sleeps with Hagar and then he lies about um, Sarah being his wife and all the things that he's, he's kind of going in a completely wrong direction. And yet God keeps speaking what he sees. He keeps speaking what he's declared. He hasn't changed his mind. He doesn't go flip, Abraham, see the way I said, I'm going to make you a great nation. Well, actually, now I've come to think about it, you were maybe not the, first, the best choice. So we'll maybe move on to somebody else. Isn't it brilliant that God doesn't change his mind? He sticks with us because he has more confidence in us than we have in ourselves. And that's something I think we need to keep reminding ourselves of, that God has more confidence in me than I even have in myself. Because he says that, um, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abraham, but your name shall be Abraham. For I've made you a father of many nations I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make nations of you and kings shall come from you and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in the generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. So when he talks to Abraham, it's like it's a done deal. He's going, this is who you're gonna be. I've made you a father of many nations. In God's eyes, the work's already complete. So we often feel like, oh, God, you know, maybe when I get this right or when I've sorted this or when this is all these ducks are in the line, but God's already saying over you, I have made you complete. He's already, whatever he's declared over your life, he's already certain that you're going to walk into it. And things of like, you know, when we think about authority in our homes, it's easy to think, oh gosh, sometimes it doesn't feel like I'm the head of the house. Seriously, like I'm being told to go out and walk the dog and I'm doing this and I'm doing that and I don't feel like the head of the house. <laughs> But do you know what? It's not about our feelings, is it? And I think often, as the men, it's a case of actually, this is truth. This is who God says you are. It's not based on what, whether you feel like it or not on any particular day. And there's times when we need to remind ourselves of that because there's times as a parent, your authority is challenged. We all know what that's like. When actually people come against you, your own kids can challenge you. But you've got to actually, the more you believe yourself, I remember listening to Joseph Prince and him just saying, the more that you actually see yourself in that place of authority and believe in it and rest in it, then the more you will see that authority taking place in your home. You've got to see it on the inside first. We want everything on the outside to change, don't we? But we've got to see it on the inside and believe it. And the words that we're going to speak are powerful. The words that we are going to say over our kids and to our kids are going to have great influence. If we look again in Genesis, the Lord says, For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household over him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. The Lord has commissioned us to raise families that will keep the way of the Lord. 
Isn't that incredible? But again, this isn't going to be a heavy thing on us. It's not about us trying to get our kids to blindly follow a pile of rules and behave right all the time. That's nothing about that. It's cultivating houses where we honor and value what's important to God, where we center our lives around the promises of God, where we approach situations with faith and expectation in our heart that things are going to change, where we share with our kids the goodness of God, where we tell them stories about what God is doing, where we just model that picture of grace, where we show forgiveness, where we are compassionate, where we show unconditional love. You know, there are times in our lives as parents where we can feel like a fraud, can't we? You know, normally if I'm speaking, I've really lost it with the kids or something. It's probably because I left early this morning that that didn't happen. That was a good one, Because <laughs> normally on the days where you have to go and speak in front of people on parenting that you actually feel like the worst parent in the world. And like, why am I up here? But if you think about Abraham, it wasn't his performance that qualified him. It was the fact that God put his hand on him and said, I believe in you. Because it tells us in Romans, for the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. It's, it's the fact, what, the only thing that qualifies any of us today is the fact that we stand covered by the blood of Jesus, that we're clothed in his righteousness. And we have favor on us today as parents because of that. Because we belong to Jesus, we've been set apart. And we can choose to believe that we're righteous today. You know, Abraham must have been a bit, he must have felt like a fraud when he, his name was changed. So he went from exalted father to father of, of many, father of a multitude, and he's no, no kids. He must have been thinking, what do people think of me? But you know, God always calls something first before you actually see it manifest. And he speaks it out. And that's for us too. We need to speak out what we want to see. Because actually, it's truly who we are. And so many of us are living from the flesh and what the flesh says about us and who we are in the flesh. But that's not how God sees us. God doesn't look at our flesh at all. You know, it tells us in Colossians 3, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. We've died, we've died to, to the flesh, we've died to sin, and now we're hidden. Isn't that a beautiful picture? All he, all he sees is Christ. We're hidden with Christ in God. It's just beautiful. So we are his, we've been made in his image. We reflect who God is. That's who we are. I was thinking back to when Ben was born. I wasn't sure if Ben was going to be here today, so a little bit of a time to embarrass him there at the back. But when Ben was born, I couldn't believe how like Andrew he was. I just remember looking at him and he literally a few minutes old and going, oh my goodness, he's got like his daddy's nose, but like the miniature version, he literally was just a picture of his daddy. It's beautiful. It's lovely. <laughs> but I was thinking, it's incredible how, because for months as a mum, you know, you've got that bond with your unborn baby. You know, you're there all the time. You're reminded you can't touch your toes or get your shoes on anymore at the end because there's this person that's sort of stopping you from even being able to eat properly, which was bad for me. Um, and Ben, I think, was the hungriest baby ever. Like, I just, all I remember from my pregnancy is my jaw was sore because I ate so much. Like, most of you know how much I eat normally, but like, literally, I used to wake up in the night with little brunch bars next to me, remember? And Andrew would be like, oh, not more crumbs in the bed. All he could hear was me. <laughs> Because I didn't eat. I felt sick. I just ate the whole time. I remember there was a song we were away with Robin Mark's band. And they were singing, who ate all the pies? Penny ate all the pies. Because <laughs> literally, everyone was sick of watching me eat. And I was sick of eating. 
But so I just was so aware of having a baby, whereas I think the dads sometimes feel a little bit on the outside. You know, they're kind of just waiting around and it all gets a bit boring. How many months of this do we have? And then suddenly this little one arrives and it's like, oh my goodness. And God's so clever that he often makes babies look so like their daddies, doesn't it? So they just have this like, oh, wow, it's a mini me. And this is instant connection. And I think, you know, what's incredible is often what we see in the physical is pointing to a greater spiritual reality because we're like, you know, we go, oh, they look like you, but it's, they are like you, but it's so much deeper than just looks itself, isn't it? Because God makes us just like we're made in his image. And then when we have children ourselves, they're made to be like us. And I, when I look at Ben and his personality characteristics, you know, we see a young man now who is strong. Ben is a risk taker. Isn't that right, Ben? Keep his head down. Ben is a man of vision. Ben is a man on a mission. Anybody seen Ben Too Good Meteor? He's plastered everywhere. <laughs> but Ben has got courage. Ben knows what he believes. And sometimes that's a challenge as a parent when you've got a strong risk taker, man of vision, who's tenacity and courage and he knows what he believes and he's not afraid to speak up or challenge. But Ben is kind. Ben is generous. And you know what we see in our kids? That the resemblance, it's so much greater than physical. And their lives, they are shaped by many great qualities. And I think... I just think as parents, often the enemy wants to get our attention on all of the bad stuff, doesn't he? On all of the things that, you know, whenever, if we fly off the handle, then we see our kids flying off the handle and we go, oh gosh, typical, they're just like me. Or, you know, if they're a bit afraid of things and they get fearful, if we're fearful, and then we see them being fearful and we think, oh goodness, I've passed that on to my kids. Or they're stubborn or whatever it is, they lack confidence. There can be so many things that we see within our kids and we think, oh did, I, did they learn that from me? And yet, I love the story of Abraham and Sarah, and I love how he presented in the book of Hebrews. And you know, whenever they go back and they look at Sarah, and they look at, it says in Hebrews 11, and by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was unable to bear children because she considered him faithful, who had made the promise. And you think, actually, Sarah's the one who laughed, Sarah's the one when she heard you're going to conceive a child next year was like, oh, seriously, you know, and her, her first reaction was to laugh. And yet in Hebrews, that's not how she's remembered because God sees you in him. He sees her as being a woman of faith. And so when we look at ourselves as parents, he's not looking at us with all the things that we could be doing better. He's not looking at fathers going, oh my goodness, you, you know, why are you passing that on to your kids? Actually, through his grace, he's imparting in our kids all those qualities that are going to help them be the people that he's made them to be. Because we're made in the image of God and, and he's given fathers, he's given you a father's heart. And God takes all our imperfections, he takes our lack of judgment, our fears, our insecurities, and he shows us that in his spirit, it's all turned around for his glory. And do you know what the best thing we can do as parents the best things dads can do is just keep showing up and just keep trusting him. You know, I know even like leading this church, often people go, well, how did you keep going all these years? And I just remember, you know, a long time ago, somebody told us, just keep showing up, just keep being faithful. And as parents, that's the biggest thing that we can do, isn't it? Just keep 
being faithful and trusting him. And he is going to equip you. He's going to take you through. He's going to cover all of those mistakes in his love because his love covers a multitude of sins. And the last thing I want to say to the dads is, fathers, you are not alone. You are not alone. You have not been left to do this on your own because you have your heavenly father who is pouring love into you, who is pouring grace into you, who is supporting you and giving you all the wisdom that you need. But you have women too. God's put us here to help and support. And I was thinking about, you know, women, what we can fall into. And obviously you hear Andrew every week telling you about the lists that I make. So this verse is for you, Andrew. A nagging wife is like the dripping of a leaky roof (laughs) in a rainstorm. Stopping her is like trying to stop the wind. It's like trying to grab olive oil with your hand. (laughs) So, and I think the thing he doesn't realize is he has no idea how much goes on in my head. Like, he literally gets maybe 1% of the things. There is so much time that I'm trying to filter it down. Hold it in, Penny. Don't go there. Just wait till he's properly awake. Give it another half hour. The problem is I'm awake at five most mornings to see by half six. Like, I've planned everything, like, literally. So, yeah, you, don't, you think it's bad. You think it's a rainstorm. There's a flipping tornado going on in my head. <laughs> You're getting the little sort of, little bit of a shower. But anyway, Proverbs 31 tells us about an excellent woman. And I thought this is beautiful. Her husband trusts her completely. She gives him all the important things that he needs. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. And she speaks wisely. And I thought, you know what, Lord? That's, I know that that's who I can be in you. And that's who you're helping me to become every day. And that I want to speak wisely because my words, I know, have power. And I know for me, I know a number of years ago, Andrew and I did that, you know, love languages thing. Remember those books? Gary Chapman, Love Languages. You could all try and work out you know, what gift, you, what gift you had or what, whatever it was, what love language your partner spoke, husband. And I remember I'd spent years trying to buy Andrew nice wee presents, you know, just to show him how much I appreciated him. And then we did the wee quiz and he scored zero on gifts. I was like, flip me all that time and money I'd spent. <laughs> Completely useless. But then his thing was words of affirmation. And I think for a lot of men, You know, particularly if as women we can be a nagging wife like a dripping tap, and we need to realize that's not what they need from us, but they need to know that we need our words to be wise words. We need to know when to speak and when not to speak, to know that we're not the Holy Spirit. That's my biggest lesson in marriage. I'm not the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Holy Spirit can speak to Andrew himself because the power of life and death is in the tongue, isn't it? But you know what our role is? It's to call forth those things that aren't as though they are, So when our husbands or our fathers or our sons feel like, I'm not that person, I couldn't ever be that, I'm never going to be able to do that, we're called to call those things forth. The things that we can see, that we can believe for, that God's put in them, we're there to call them forth, to remind them of who they are, to speak well of them, to help them see themselves the way that God sees them. And I loved him. This is a point that Chris Vallotton made at the end of his message the other day, and I, I love this. He talked about Jesus in the temple, the whole story. And if you think about it, you would be thinking, God, why did you choose Mary and Joseph? Like, seriously, they lost him for, for three days. It was like three days when they, before they realized. But it, he said, you know what is incredible? Obviously, that didn't worry them because they knew that he was in community, that he was in family, 
it didn't actually, it wasn't that they were negligent parents that were just neglecting their child, but that they knew they had a whole community around him. And it, remember the African proverb where it talks about it takes a village to raise a child? That's why family matters. That's why church matters. That's why community matters. Because actually we're here to help each other. We're not here on our own to try and be the best dad we can be. We're here together to help each other, to raise, help each other raise our kids, to pour into each other's lives. Because God never wanted us to be isolated. He wanted us to be part of a family. So today I hope that the men are encouraged God's called you, he's equipped you, you are amazing, we love you, we appreciate you. And I hope the ladies are encouraged that we've got awesome guys in our midst and they're such a gift and we just want to celebrate and honour you today. So thank you. Amen. Amen. Amen.